The following program is paid for and presented by Skybridge Media, LLC. Hi, I'm Gary Kaminsky. Welcome to Wall Street Week, the show of record for long-term investing. Home ownership used to be the American dream, but is it still possible in this economy with a strained housing recovery? And I'm Anthony Scaramucci. Today, two of housing's heavy hitters join us to share their personal stories of living the American dream and where the money is to be made in the housing market. This show has never been solely about investments. We've talked about anything that affected people and their money. From Times Square in New York City, the new Wall Street Week. We're pleased to welcome Barbara Corcoran, founder of the realty firm, The Corcoran Group. Barbara, it's a thrill for Gary and I to have you here. Great to be here. Uh, let's talk about your real estate career, mm -hmm. starting it with $1,000 and a boyfriend. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. So you, you, you made the money and lost the, the boyfriend? What happened? I lost the boyfriend, or he lost me would be the more <laughs> proper way to do it. We were partners for seven years. I moved in with him. I raised his three girls with him. So we were indeed a family. Uh, we were a family at work, we were a family at home, um, but he just happened to fall in love with my secretary. A little, a little, oh, what, what? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that ended that relationship. And at the time, it was probably the hardest year of my life. In hindsight, as you always know, when you go through a bad time, uh, always something co good comes out of it if you hang around for it. And what came out of that, thank God, was the birth of the Corcoran Group, my own business. And uh, so that was enormously important that I had that ending to go on to the next one. But, but talk about some of that because I think it's very true for entrepreneurs, the mm -hmm. ones you're interviewing, my own life experience. Were you super nervous starting the Corcoran Group or you had supermanic courage? No, I had, something, I had something better emotions. than all of the above. I was angry. Okay. Nothing's better than the scorn of a woman who's going to show a guy who said, you'll never succeed without me, that she's going to succeed. I was fueled by my fury for years, and not only in the initial years, but even when we had a thriving, huge business, five, six hundred people, and I was near bankruptcy on many of the recession pits that we went into, I still remembered those haunting words and would think of one more idea to try to keep ourselves in business. So. I had the fuel of an impassioned woman that was bent and determined to prove that I wasn't going to fail. What was the first apartment you rented? The very first one was on East 73rd Street to a lovely couple that called in from out of town on my welcome to New York. Yeah, that was my header in the little columns of the New York Times way before the advent of the internet. And they were the sweetest couple, not only because they gave me my first commission, but they were the sweetest couple because they were from out of town and he was working for Citibank and he probably referred to me maybe 40 people in the next four years. So he was a great asset right from the get-go. But I always had good luck with stumbling into the right people. What'd you do with that first commission check? $340. I ran over to Bergdorf Goodman's and I blew it on the fanciest coat I could find. <laughs> That's great. Why not? That's I great. felt you, very important in that you, coat. Are you a spender or a saver now? I think money is meant to be spent. I've always spent money, thrown it as far as I could, see where it goes, what I could get for it, and in throwing it out, it's always come back to me double-fold. I have no fear, really, of losing money, but you have to realize I had the huge advantage that rich kids don't have. I had nothing to start with, so I had nothing to lose and nowhere to go but up. Do you know how freeing that is for a kid not to have to disappoint their parents? My God, well, I had you, you, license you, to kill. You made this decision to mm -hmm. sell the company. Yes. Walk us through um, mm. how, how difficult was it 
You sold the company for $66 million. Mm -hmm. What was your mindset then, and how should people who build businesses think about the ultimate exit strategy? I think exit strategies, not just with myself, but any other business owner that I've become friends with, is always the same. It's driven by personal need, not by money. Clearly, when I sold the Corcoran Group, I had gotten a multi-million dollar profit for two years in a row, which was unbelievable to me. I was trying to spend money opening offices as quickly as I could, but I still, despite my best efforts, wound up with two, three million dollars in profit each year for the last two years. So that registered like, whoa, maybe this thing is worth something. So you were reinvesting yeah. proceeds into the business constantly, the cash Always, flow. Always, from day but one. But still throwing off other cash. That so was realizing. shocking. Yeah. So therefore, I knew probably it had value. Am I right? That's about yeah. how sophisticated I was. How did I arrive at $66 million? The first bid that the attorney was so happy to tell me, $21 million, $21 million. I said, I want 66 based on what I never told him. It was my lucky number. Yeah. I figured, let me bring a little luck. In the end, they paid the $66 million, And they still wanted, how did you arrive at that? I said it was my lucky number that drove them nuts. They didn't like that. But was it a hard decision? No. I had my first baby at 46. It's very easy for guys to talk around about building a business when you don't have kids. I had sibling rivalry played out between my business and my home every day of my life. And after three years, I said, I'm not doing this. I'm checking out. I'm just going to focus on being a mom until I realized I got bored. And then, of course, I had to build another business. <laughs> I didn't figure that one out so well. You're the first woman owned real estate company in New York. Is that fair to say? Then, yes. And so uh, women make good business entrepreneurs? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Women uh, don't fight for territory the same way men do. You know, a man will climb his way to the top of the mountain, the mountain figurative for something in business, and before he's halfway up there, he's pounding his chest, shouting, I'm king of the mountain. A woman will climb the same mountain, get all the way to the top, isn't sure she's the queen of the mountain. She'll set up a kitchen, a tent, make sure the blankets are right, and then shout, I might be queen of the mountain. Men claim territory, okay? Women don't do it. Women form better teams than men because of the lack of territorial thing. The egos aren't as vested on the front end. Donald, Donald Trump also made a name You're for himself. Okay. Your paths ever crossed? Paths ever crossed? Yeah. I feel like his mother, yes. I worked with Donald for the better part of his career on my own. He was the most prominent developer in New York, most high-profile developer from the get-go when he uh, converted uh, 42nd Street for New York, which changed values in the city. I, I will say one good thing about Donald, clearly that he is uh, due the credit of changing the view of living in Manhattan to the view of luxury in Manhattan because of Trump Tower. And that uh, he totally changed people's attitude. I will tell you, I used to go to industry events all over the U.S. where you meet with people and I would say, yes, I sell real estate in New York. They said, my God. They looked at me like, I'm surprised you're alive. After Donald Trump got through with Trump Tower, people would come up and say, amazing, what's it like? How did that happen? He really refaced Manhattan as an image. Do you think that yeah. translates into presidential skills? No, absolutely not. You have to be normal to be president. <laughs> you have to be normal to be president. Well, you have to be semi-normal. Yeah. You obviously have to have a big ego, he's certainly there, but you also have to function, uh, your brain has to work, I think. So Barbara, 
being a good business person mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to be president. Being a good business person, having a successful business record is a great credential. Look at the mayor of uh, New York, Mayor Bloomberg. Imagine, right. I mean, what a great credential. No, it's a great credential. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying you have to run for public office for the right reasons. If it's pure ego and you're polarizing and you separate people, it doesn't strike me as a great uh, formula for leadership. It's a grueling process on the road every day, constant media appearances, constantly having to go out. If it's just about ego, he's certainly putting in a lot of time and effort you have for to remember, just what this is. People who have huge egos need them fed. And who feeds an ego but a crowd? Who feeds an ego better than media attention? And so the bigger the ego, the more able people like that are able to go out and absorb that. They need it, they're being fed, all right? So I think that fits in perfectly with the profile. If he ends up mm -hmm. completing this and gets the nomination, would you be shocked? I know when uh, George Bush was running the second time in fear that he'd be nominated and win the election, I bought a house in Canada and owned that house until he was out of office. I don't know what country I'm going to buy a second house in just in case I need to make a fast exit. The minute interest rates went up by a half a point or 1% when they had been low for a long time, I went out and had a party because I knew my sales were going to go through the roof and they always did. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Hightower, an unobstructed view. Imagine a business built on the premise that delivering straightforward financial advice is the right thing to do. A firm that places investor trust at its foundation, rising above the discord of an industry compromised by conflicts of interest. Hightower is the new blueprint for financial advice. We live by the fiduciary standard, a legal pledge to put our clients' interests first. Not because fiduciary is the latest fad, but because it's what we were built to do. I used to dread getting up and going to work. I was done with the corporate grind. I was tired of being a starving artist. And I started looking around for a business that I believed in, and I kind of wanted to do something a little more green. My score mentor helped me take the first step. He helped me create a business plan and helped me implement it. They've really taught me how to think big. SCORE helped me to make the unimaginable possible. All for free. I'm here because of SCORE. I'm here because of SCORE. Get your free business mentor at SCORE.org. We are back with Barbara Corcoran. Also joining us, Henry Cisneros, former HUD secretary under President Clinton. Let's talk about housing. Um, it's been said that owning a home is the American dream. I believe that. It's also been said that real estate is a good investment over the long term. Um, let's start with the American dream. Is owning a house the American dream still? It is the American dream, and all the polls show that uh, even the millennials who are late to forming households and late to a decision to own a home still believe that long run they want to own a home. Uh, it's become more difficult, but it's not only the American dream, it's also for the long haul uh, a good economics. Uh, most Americans, the sum total of their net worth is the equity they have in their home. It, it's been one of the instruments by which we've moved people into the middle class traditionally. So we can't afford to give up on home ownership. Uh, the, the social mores are changing, people are buying later, uh, careers are more mobile, Pe people think they, they, they can't afford to, you know, sink down into a house because they may be in another city a year from now. But I think home ownership is still very important in the big picture. Barbara, I've sat down with clients mm -hmm. and we've walked them through the numbers, showing them with low interest rates the difference between buying and renting. 
And you can show somebody right now, arithmetically, why it makes more sense to invest and buy a home, mm -hmm. yet they don't want to. They okay, want but, to but rent. Let's explain that to viewers, yeah. though, because it has to do with the way amortization works. And so if you look at a rental property, and let's say you're spending $700 a month on a rental, you can spend $750 to own a home over a 15 or 30 year period of time, as you pay those monthly uh, coupons, if you will, you're buying into the equity of that house. Right. People still are conditioned, and I think it has a lot to do with the stock market correction of 2000 and 2008. Why is it that people, why is it that the rental economy has continued to boom? I think there are two reasons. Uh, one being that uh, people's memory is their deficit. You don't forget when you're injured deeply so quickly that you get injured again, even if you didn't experience it yourself. What usually drives that decision is how settled people feel. Someone has two kids, they want kids in a good school. Of course they have to buy a house in a neighborhood that has a good school. They'll move out of the city or whatever to, to accommodate their lifestyle. It's more driven by your own needs and your own lifestyle, your decision to buy or rent. It's not so much economic. And the lifestyles have changed mm -hmm. because the millennials are waiting longer to marry. And 40% of our population is single. And a that lot of them are living in well. urban areas where rentals are available so and so the, forth. What's the future of the housing market then? Well, I think the housing market is strong because Americans need a place to live. And whether or not it is rental, uh, which is a, a good business to be in. Uh, in if you fact, own it, not if you rent it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the long haul, uh, we're going to need more rental. We have a vast deficit of affordable rentals, not just for people who are on the margins of poor, but people who are firemen, policemen, teachers, nurses, the, the mainstream workforce of so the country. So how do you create that? Housing. I mean, well, yeah. it's going to take governmental involvement to create incentives to build housing for that, mm -hmm. that, that working group. Mm -hmm. Henry, before 2007, you know, my mother had no idea what Fannie Mae and Freddie <laughs> Mac were, and I think the great bulk of people watching this program didn't know. Yeah. And everybody knows those names now. Right. What is the role of government as it relates to housing? Well, fundamentally, the role of government is make sure that we create the conditions in which people can live in decent housing. Mm -hmm. And we have so many people paying 50% of their income, one whole of their monthly check, uh, of a two-week uh, version, uh, on, on just keeping shelter for their children. It's too much. They don't have money left for other things. So the government has a role in several ways. One, as I mentioned a, mo a moment ago, we need to be spending more on creating rental availability because we spend a lot on home ownership through the home interest mortgage deduction. And so that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, with respect to uh, home ownership, we need to have Fannie and Freddie in existence, but we need more private capital so that we don't have an episode where the taxpayer ends up paying as we did in the last round. So more private capital attracted there, but still that, that secondary mortgage mechanism that uh, allows the creation of liquidity so more loans can be made is an essential piece of the government's responsibility. Are you worried about another housing crisis? I think the odds are not that there's anything on the horizon. The housing markets across the country never really fully recovered, which is why the American economy has never fully well, what happens, recovered. You know, I, I, I'm, what I'm happens? in agreement with that because it's, a lot of these mortgages are still underwater right. and so they didn't get the benefit of the Federal and, Reserve you know, interest rate reduction what I think people where they could pay a lower monthly mortgage. What I think people don't understand is the housing sector got so battered that a lot of people, particularly smaller builders, left the market and the infrastructure for building is not back. So the workforce never came back. So the housing markets have just never fully recovered, and there hasn't been a recovery in the United States 
uh, since the end of World War II that the housing market didn't leak. Most didn't, Americans didn't know leak. that, or has it been masked by these high-end uh, real estate prices? No, I think people, people across the country know we're not back. I All across America, maybe not New York, maybe not San Francisco, but across America, the housing sector is I, I, not robust. Henry, you've got so many people that were that there was an incentive created for them to take short-term adjustable rate mortgages, bring the payments down. Now, rates are going to go up, and obviously mortgage rates are going to go up. Is this not going to create a problem a year and two out where now all of a sudden rates are going up and people are paying, as you said, right. we haven't even fully recovered, yet the mortgage rates are going to go up? I don't think that's the problem that interest rates are going to create, that we're going to see you know, the adjustable rate problem that we saw in the also, last very round. very few of the notes, am I correct, yeah. in saying that very few of them were adjustable rate mortgages. People took advantage of low interest rates and yeah. locked in those rates. And there's too. been a lot of uh, safeguards since. But I think the problem That's what of they higher said the interest last rates. Time. Yeah. I, I don't believe you. Well, <laughs> last time there were no safeguards. Yeah. There were predatory so and so abusive. What's, so, so what's different right now? Well, the, the banking regulations are different and, the, you know, uh, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley has played a, a more mature role, and, and Dodd-Frank is in place, and the Consumer Protection Bureau, a lot, of, a lot of things that are different about the system. The problem of interest rates is just the psychological impact that people will slow down the march toward toward housing. And I think it's going to, you know, the one place that you know what you're going to feel the... The minute interest rates went up by a half a point or 1% when they had been low for a long time, I went out and had a party because I knew my sales were going to go through the roof, and they always did because suddenly there's a deadline. Everybody loves to get off the fence and they oh, the party's over. We better go out, point. honey, and buy that house. So short term, it's a boost to the housing market. Hi, I'm Ken Lango. I'm Carl Icahn. I'm Ben Bernanke. Barry Rosenstein. Larry Summers. Jeffrey Gunlock. Dick Grasso. Lizanne Saunders. David Rubenstein. Andre Agassi. Jeff Smith. Lee Cooperman. I'm Dave Petraeus. Don Drabkin. Jim Chados. Byron Wing. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I watch Wall Street Week. I watch Wall Street Week. I'm watching Wall Street Week. I was a guest on the original Wall Street Week. I was on the old Wall Street Week. And I'm pleased to be on the brand new Wall Street Week. And I hope you are too. And you should too. I'm sure you will too. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Coke Industries. We are Coke. Two-thirds of our planet is covered in it. So why do nearly 800 million people suffer from lack of clean water around the world? That's completely unacceptable to me. And that is why I'm working on a way to solve this global problem. Like here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. By taking the polluted water we already have and providing technologies to filter it back into clean water, my name is Manny, Senior VP of Technology. We are Coke. Checking your fantasy league? Nah, just my 401k statement. <laughs> I can't seem to save anything. I got a pizza for a Todd. Hey, can somebody spot me? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. About foreign investors for a second, they're pouring $100 billion a year into our real estate markets. How is that impacting the average American? Um, it doesn't impact the average American, but it certainly impacts the more luxury markets all over the U.S., particularly the coastal markets, the second home markets. Um, there have even been towns developed in the middle of the Midwest or in California. Dallas. Whole vineyards opened up just for the Chinese market. They developed vineyards, so you could say, I own a vineyard in California. I mean, so it affects the luxury buyer, but it really doesn't affect 
the blue collar worker struggling with the mortgage, trying to find a home, that's a different world, totally different. I think in California, in the LA area, mm -hmm. and San Francisco, you see some impacts for average folks mm -hmm. because it's raising the price of housing and oh, uh, overall, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think I think there's some impact so, from that. So the but overall, the influence of foreign money uh, in our economy is a good sign. First of all, they regard it as a safe haven in the world, mm -hmm. so they're bringing money here. That's a great thing. And secondly, uh, it just fuels the, uh, the, the the construction and, and should and Americans recovery. be investing overseas? Of course, but. Uh, there's a lot of worries about where to put money. You know, you, the European economy is not as strong as it has been. Uh, you wouldn't go to uh, a lot of emerging markets. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, moment of crisis in the world with respect to security is raising questions. So I can understand that Americans don't want to take that risk if they have good opportunities right here. There is a negative I could add on yeah. the uh, foreign investment in the, in the well, I, certainly I could address my city here in New York City. When you look at the top, 10 pieces of residential real estate that are for sale right now. Just go right off the top, just based on dollar value. They go from 85 million to 74 million, the top 10. Almost, I think all except one is owned by someone foreign selling it. Now, when you don't like the foreign, I must say, is when you're going in and bidding on that yeah. Fifth Avenue townhouse sure. at 75 million dollars, owned by an Argentinian uh, outgoing seller, and you find you're bidding against five different guys or women from out of, out of town, it's hurtful because it, it fuels up prices sure. and you don't get the but real estate But it's not just at the top, because yeah. what I'm seeing now is mm -hmm. it, once the pickings are, are taken at the higher level, those investors want to put their money in the United States and they're going to go down lower and lower into the price ranges. And, and uh, But you can imagine studios. why a person in China would want to put their money in the United States. This is a moment of urban renaissance, and it's not just New York and San Francisco, but all over the country. The central city populations are solidifying. Uh, populations in Denver, in Dallas, in Atlanta, growing. This millennial reality of young people who want to be near the urban stimulation is real, okay? The empty nesters who are coming back into the city to live in lofts and so forth, that's real. Mm -hmm. And then fundamentally what's at work, in my opinion, is the older American urban economy, which was about manufacturing, is gone. We suffered immensely as it died. But in its place is international trade, new media, biosciences and big medical centers, higher education, big institutions. USC is the biggest employer in Los Angeles, for example. Business services. Uh, and, and that is a very city-friendly so, so economy, the new American well, economy. Well, outside, well, outside, but then outside of things like the Hamptons or outside of San Francisco, mm -hmm. what you're saying is really negative for some of the suburbs in the middle of the country. No, that's not negative because our population Lewis, is growing. Kansas City. Our population is growing and there will always be a population that for that phase in life wants to be but in the suburbs. But that first-time home buyer but the, but is the, not getting access to the capital to absorb that inventory. Or the new jobs for the most part. Well, but, but immigrants? Yeah. Are you know they're 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 filling in in, in suburban places but, but where in the would inner you put, suburbs. Where would you put your money though, Henry? Like where where are the? Where, well, I'm where's putting the my money yeah. as a as a. Put your money in me, Henry. <laughs> I'm game. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Um, in in urban settings, our the company that I have chaired for the last 15 years, City View, raises capital to invest in urban. And we've done about 85 projects in 13 markets across Commercial the country. Commercial and residential as well? Residential. Mm -hmm. And it's Rental in that middle band. For purchase? Or uh, originally for purchase. Mm -hmm. 
And as the, the, the economy went into the tank in 2008 and people weren't buying, we switched mostly to uh, multifamily, and it's been a very, very good. Right now we've got probably six or eight projects in the, San, in the Bay Area, and, and you just can't build them fast enough. We, you know, we, our job is to produce for our investors, which are principally institutional. And as, as in your asset management business, you've got to deliver for your investors, and we've, we've got very good numbers. You've also invested in some uh, municipal bond underwriting. What's, what's, in the recent, what's in recent, in recent uh, year, in the last year, I decided that um, I wanted to go from the emphasis, I'm, I'm a city's guy, I'm an urban guy, I was a mayor, I was a HUD secretary, and um, I uh, decided that I wanted to expand from urban real estate to, the, to what to me is the next big opportunity, which is urban infrastructure. Uh, we've got cities that have 100-year-old water systems and the water's unsafe. We've got cities with congestion and traffic. We've got cities that need uh, electrical grid uh, redone. We've got cities that have broadband questions for the future and fiber optic lines to be laid. So I'm working my way into that business by investing in what is the largest minority-owned municipal bond underwriting firm, Siebert Bradford Shank, and bought into the firm with the view of of, of not only doing the bond business, but expanding to really bring capital to infrastructure, which I think is going to be just a huge, huge thing. Thinking of investing in Duke Energy, Next Era Energy, or Dominion Resources, they're all components of XLU, the Utility Sector Spider ETF, which includes over 25 utility stocks in the S&P 500 to help add diversification and minimize single stock risk. Why invest in a single utility stock when you can own the entire utility sector of the S&P 500? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Go to sectorspiders.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. Visit us on the web at sectorspiders.com. You can join millions of Americans turning off the old media for Newsmax TV. We're in over 40 million homes on DirecTV Channel 349, Dish Channel 223, and Verizon Fios Channel 115. And we're available online at NewsmaxTV.com or on Roku and Google TV. Plus, you can watch us anywhere in the world. Just download our free Newsmax TV app from your iPhone or Android. Do it today and find out why millions are tuning in Newsmax TV. For real news, better talk. Wall Street Week is sponsored in part by Morgan Stanley, where capital creates change. Let's talk about the stock market and real estate. What's the correlation between stock market and real estate value? When the stock market rises, the upper end of the real estate market pops up immediately. Pops up immediately because people feel wealthy. They're getting year-end bonuses, they're going in and they feel muscle, so they go and they buy that real estate. Do you have a personal indicator of how the economy is doing? There's certain things that you look at to determine whether the economy is doing well. I have indicators of how far my money is going. I'm concerned about that. So, for example, when I buy my fresh bouquet of flowers, in the last three years, you used to get 12 roses for $10, then eight, now there's six for $8. That concerns me. When I ran my Corcoran Group business, I used one indicator every single week to budget my spending and advertising. I would count the cranes on the skyline. And when they went up by 10%, I increased my ad budget and hired 10% more people. And it never led me astray because the crane was the first indication that more inventory was being built. What about you, Henry? You know, I notice things like, uh, what's the crowd at sporting events? Uh, in some places, the crowd is, you can see a kind of a more elite kind of crowd because they can afford the ticket. And in other cities, it's a very diverse crowd. And you say, this is a city whose economy is working. I want to talk about the future. So mm -hmm. you're bullish on the 
housing market and the real estate? For the time being, all the stats support it. I mean, inventory is down 10% as against last year. So last year you saw 10 houses, now you see nine. That helps real estate. Prices are up 6%. Um, there's, uh, interest rates are still cheap. I'm bullish about the future of the country. I'm bullish about the cities. I'm bullish about the society that we're building. What so, are you worried about? Uh, the economy, keeping the economy strong enough, having an economy that employs people. Things like climate change, real problem for the future. Uh, we've got to keep our technology strong so that we have productivity, growth, and innovation and research, keep our higher education institutions strong. But on the whole, uh, this is still the place to be in the world. Well, I'm going to end it on that. I want to thank Barbara Corcoran and Henry Cisneros for spending time today with Wall Street Week. That's it for today. You can check in with us all week at wallstreetweek.com. Until next Sunday, have a prosperous week. The preceding program was paid for and presented by Skybridge Media, LLC.